0: Hello hello all, and welcome to the latest instalment of the Witch Car Weekly Podcast. My name is Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor, and I'll be your host this week as sadly Dan is sick, or sipping champagne in his new beachside mansion, you decide. Hurry back Dan, we miss you. Thankfully I am joined by two of the brightest minds in this room, Wheels Deputy Editor Andy Enright, hello, and Wheels Staff Writer Cameron Kirby. Rock and roll. This week, we'll be discussing why stink bugs are delaying your new car, and living with a McLaren. But first, the all-new Porsche 911, which Andy and I drove in Adelaide last week. Andy, tell me everything about the new Porsche 992 911. I think
1: if we did that, we'd be here until next week. Um, There's a lot to this car.
0: (laughs) We sat sat in a technical presentation for about two hours, um, and... That's what I took out of it. Like, it takes a lot of work to make a car look and
1: drive exactly the same as it did before. That's the thing with the new nine eleven. You you kind of think that it's an evolution of the old nine nine one, a nine nine one point three. Which is easy like. to look at when you easy to think when you look at it because it does look very very similar. It looks so similar, and you'd have to park the two cars next to each other to really appreciate the subtle differences between them. But underneath that kind of evolutionary skin. Porsche has done so much to this car. It is so different, isn't it?
0: Okay, so run us through the the Twitter version, the Twitter version of the highlights. Keep it, you know. Okay,
1: really quickly, it's a new chassis. All the top end of the engine has changed, a lot of the electronics have changed, the suspension has changed. So all of the bits that really matter if you really like driving have changed and they've changed for the better, markedly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's remarkable in that uh, yeah, that so much has changed and you could almost fill a magazine i mean most some cars come out and their press release is two pages maybe five pages like the depth of the technical presentation we received it was 60 or 70 pages of technical presentation on yeah. you know gear ratios and you know i'm surprised they didn't have the Screw the size of the screw heads on it. Um, yeah, proper, well, proper
1: nerdy stuff. It was
0: super nerdy, but is very valuable mm. though as a journalist and learning about this
1: stuff. Yeah, what you really need to know though is at the moment there are just Carrera S models, 331 kilowatts, 530 newton metres. You can get that in Ribble Drive, or all-wheel drive coupe or cabriolet there's none of the gt3 stuff or anything like that just yet but the carrera s seems like all the car that you need it's as quick around the nurberg ring as a 991 gt3 the 3.8 liter That's... one of those it is seriously quick and it's quicker to 100 if you choose the four-wheel drive one than a 997 gt2 so this is a really senior <laughs> thing and we got to drive it at the Bend. Um, it was my first time at the Bend. Scotty is a bit of an old hand here, so I was attempting to hang on to the back of him and Luke Yulden, the lap record holder at the Bend. <laughs> Luke,
0: he doesn't, uh, Luke, he doesn't hang around.
1: That that was, yeah, that was focusing. Let's uh, just yeah. say that. I heard you had a bit of a brown, brown pant moment. Oh, yeah. I, I decided that the best place to try and gain speed on Scotty and Luke was... In the braking zone at 250 kilometres an hour at the end of the straight. Now, with hindsight, this might have been slightly ill-advised because <laughs> the car went really, really sideways. And uh, you can see on the um, in-car video that I have this Whoa! moment. And then when I catch it, there's this sort of smug smile. Like, yeah, I meant to do that. Yes.
0: <laughs> Completely
2: <laughs> intentional. A little squeak, yes. a squeak
1: <laughs> escaped uh, both ends, probably.
0: Um, And why not, you know, why not try and outbreak the lap record holder by 50 metres? Yeah, yeah, it's not going to do that again. No. No. (laughs) So, uh, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts on the new 911? Uh, Obviously, we've both got reviews up on motor and wheels, respective uh, websites, but if you don't, if you can't read or don't want to read, then Andy,
1: tell us what your thoughts Uh, were. It's just, it just feels softer when you want it to feel softer on the road the suspension is so much more compliant than the old 991 makes it usable and that is what 911s are about they're supposed to be usable performance cars but when you dial it up on the track the steering is sharper the eight-speed PDK transmission it is quicker and sharper again the Bill Stein suspension keeps body control rock solid and you can really throw that car around
0: that's the thing isn't it you don't like having driven you know you drive a 991.2 which is the last generation one you didn't sort of realise what it needed until they I mean luckily the engineers know what it needs not us because you drive it and go this is a fantastic car yeah. like it didn't yeah. necessarily need replacing yet like you say this new car has an even further spread of abilities it is it is more comfortable they have tamed the road noise somewhat yet it is so ballistically fast now I mean this is Essentially the baby one, sort of, you know, there will be a Carrera below it, um, in a few months, but yeah, it's not the turbo, it's not the GT3. You you drive it and you go, my God, this car is so insanely fast. Yeah.
2: The the thing for me is that this is 991.2 GTS levels of power around that kind of thing. And then 991.2 was, you know, almost top of the class or was top of the Mm -hmm. class very late into its life. And hearing this, my big takeaway is: if I was any other supercar manufacturer, I'd be worried. <laughs> if this thing is another step above against something that was old and still top of class, I mean, wow, yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, you've you did the Porsche drive experience at Mount Cotton. Yeah, I did. So you, yes, you had to be a nine eleven experience. Um, because we should explain, Cam is a young fella, and uh, Porsche have a twenty five year old, uh, twenty five years old, you know what I mean, age limit on their cars. So. They don't let very young people drive, but um, Cam got that experience. So what was, you know, your expectations going in? What did you sort of get out of that sort of 9-11 experience your the, first time?
2: My first time in a nine eleven was actually... We're talking about, a... about our first time. Oh, it's exciting. Um, yeah, it was on a diesel-soaked skid pan, of all things. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's right up your alley, Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was quite... Are uh, fearful, I guess, and anxious because it was all about sliding this this nine eleven, <laughs> and I've heard so much about it being rear engine, the pendulum effect, and that kind of thing. But it was so approachable and so enjoyable, and I've done a couple of skid pan days on that skid pan specifically, and that was the most fun I've had. There was also a, a Cayman there, the, the mid-engined, and I found that a lot harder to slide because you had to be much more aggressive with the throttle to, to keep the slide, whereas I found the 911 could you get some angle on it and really hold it a lot easier with that weight out there. It wasn't as fearful as I'd been. It's interesting,
0: believe. we had a skid pan session at the uh, 992, which was unexpected, but good, and it uh, proved a couple of things. One, that yeah, the new car has so much grip that even um, Luke Yildon was sort of overseeing that. And he's like, "This, even he was saying, this isn't the easiest car to slide because of this low speed environment. And it still does have so much grip. But Andy, um, there's this new wet mode, which sounds really, really dull. And we all kind of thought it would be really dull. But wet mode is not as dull as it may seem.
1: No, it's actually really clever. And um, you'd think it would be using, you know, sensors, wheel slip sensors and all that to detect when... You had a low grip surface beneath you but in fact it's using a microphone in the front wheel arch it detects the screams yeah. of the occupants. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just detecting the the sound of of ice or rain or or just water and it adjusts all of the settings and it makes it makes the car feel really stable it's mm. very difficult to understeer the car and it's virtually impossible to oversteer it and it just feels as if you've got you know Four increased. tons of downforce on your car.
2: My 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 question around that is is that something where it says I detect rain, please select rain mode, or does it automatically slip into rain mode for you?
1: No, it gives you that choice. Um, after about three hundred meters, it it says you know do you want to be in wet mode? Yeah, if you want to barrel along with ESP off in Sport Plus like in the fall. rain, you still
0: can, but uh, it suggests wet mode. And yeah, like Andy said, like you think it's going to be just like boring mode. And it does dull the throttle a bit, but it does all these sort of clever things like opening the diff to help it turn. And it just feels like, in the sort of, I guess, typical Porsche fashion, that it's a mode to go really fast in the wet. Like, it feels really stable yeah. and really confident. If I had
1: one of those cars, I think I would use it. If I, yeah. was, if I was driving over a gnarly bit of road, like the Black Spur or something, and the weather was just horrific... I would use that. I would think, you know, this is the way to go quickly, safely. Yeah, I'm not going to bend my car. And again, from that Mount Cotton
2: thing, we were told that these n- more normal modes were the faster on the skid pants because the, the ESC and stuff helped you a little bit. Like Sports Plus, was, they the, the instructor said, it was about half a second slower over the course of the short Gymkhana just because you were sliding so much and doing so much human management where the computer can do it better than you.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, if you've just tuned in at this point, we've been talking about the Porsche 992 911, and uh, we can basically say that it's pretty amazing. It's pretty yeah. brilliant. So, But, obviously, uh, log on to the Wheels or Motor website to read our thoughts or our YouTube channels. We've got so much content around the 911. But uh, let's move on to something a little less exciting, but just as interesting. Cam, there's uh, stink bugs. Uh messing up the Australian car industry and what's happening with stink
2: bugs? It's quite an interesting story and one that's kind of been simmering away since about December last year when the first couple of ships were turned away. But yes, you're right. Stink bugs are really messing with dealers and... uh, Uh, car companies in Australia, because what is happening is there are the nests of stink bugs being found in these ships that are bringing all the the cars to Australia. Obviously, we have extremely strict quarantine laws for very good reason. We've got a $60 billion agricultural industry in Australia. They let me in. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a mistake we're not going to make You probably twice. bought the stink bugs with <laughs> <didn't> you. <laughs> Next international launch, you're not coming back. Um, but yeah, we have $60 billion of agricultural industry we need to protect. Uh, so these are black, mammorated stink bugs, and they're being found in these ships. And the thing is, as soon as they're detected, this, the whole ship has to be sprayed with, with essentially, you know, mega bug spray. and se- Yep, and sent out to sea, and they have to wait there for three months, and then they come back into port. The problem is if they find a single stink bug at that point when it comes back, the process is repeated. So some of these ships that have been pushed back are doing multiple months, you know, half a year essentially out waiting to be able to unload the, the cars. I can imagine that I don't know the figures but I can imagine that having a ship sitting
0: doing nothing for 3 months is horrendously expensive. Yes, yes. For everyone involved.
2: It's uh, it's a bit it's a bit murky car companies don't really like to talk about it but they it, it does seem that they are being compensated by the shipping companies for mm-hmm. this this delay. Because I think uh, Volkswagen and Skoda, their first one that was turned away, had uh, 1,500 cars sitting on it. Wow. Obviously, that's 1,500 cars they can't sell uh, that customers are waiting for. It's a a real problem, and it's pushing uh, a number of key models, particularly for Volkswagen Group, um, back. So Audi A1, Audi Q3, they've both been pushed back by a combination of stink bugs and WLTP, which Mm -hmm. is another issue which is really hurting them. WLTP homologation, which is the new fancy... Fuel measuring efficiency in in Europe is is really hitting some of these manufacturers yeah, quite it's hard. Yeah, bit
0: of a double, a double whammy uh, for the VAG at the moment. Um, we'll go into WLTP LTP in a future episode, I think, because there is a lot to sort of unpack around that, and it's a little bit of an involved technical topic. But um, I mean, what's what's the problem with the stink? Bug. What, what does it do? Do we know what it does? Uh, essentially, does it eat plants? Uh, we to eat or something? Yeah,
2: the agricultural government agricultural industry you know body said that it would wreak havoc on uh, paddocks essentially. Not just because they're really smelly. No, no, they'll de- they'll destroy crops and that kind of thing. So right. and and they're particularly touchy about this at the moment because there have been two nests found in Australia, which is bad news essentially, and so. Uh, they're even going so far as any ships that are coming from China and Indonesia. They're inspect- Australian inspectors are looking at those ships in those countries. And if they find stink bugs there, they're telling them they can't even come into Australian That's waters. probably a better way to do it. At least they get stopped at the source
0: then. Um, and, yeah, someone else was telling me that I think even the... Th- even the fact that they now need to inspect every ship so thoroughly, that in itself is slowing
2: the process down massively, yeah. let alone the fact that they are then sending some of them back out to sea. Yeah, our ports are massively efficient uh, things. They're these huge areas where it's just stuff buzzing constantly and yeah, having to wait for inspections and, and spraying is, is pushing everything back. It's, it's quite a trouble.
0: Andy, what was that creature you told me about the other day that ate
1: wiring <laughs> that's a pine martin in a germany it's, it's like a, like a big mink and uh you can actually buy from the bmw catalogue in germany a marder guard um they're called a uh, marder in german and uh it protects your wiring loom 'cause because these things especially like around the Nurburgring, there's pine forest everywhere and people park park their cars outside their hotels and at night, these pine martins come out of the forest and chew their wiring looms to pieces. They get up in the morning and their car catches fire when they try and start it. So that, yeah, so we don't have um, pine martin problems in Australia, at least, because no. you know, those things are just hell.
2: Well, there was an advertising campaign in Japan to knock on your bonnet in winter before you get in the car because cats quite like to get up into wheel arches and, and under engines and that kind of stuff, and they'll sit there because they're nice and warm in winter. And, you know... Japan has lots of cats. And so there was this whole ad campaign based around knocking on the bonnet to get the cats out of your car before you started up. Wow.
1: At That'll least they up. won't eat your wiring loom unless it's well, no. covered in peanut butter or something. What do cats eat?
0: <laughs> what do cats eat? You should know you've got two
1: cats. I know, but I don't feed them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why they're looking so skinny? That's my partner, Christina. That's her job. <laughs> She's an expert.
0: Anyway, uh, well, later in, in the episode, we'll be talking about living with a McLaren and other supercar Dramas, but first off, I want to just give a quick shout out to Which Car TV, the TV show created by all the motoring titles, Wheels, Four x Four, Which Car, Motor, everything uh, under the one roof. So this weekend on Which Car TV, episode ten, I believe it is, we have Which Car's new recruit Noel Faulkner, who is going to summon for the very first time. Lord Helper. Lord Helper. Well, she's still alive, so that's a good sign. Uh, for those who aren't aware, SummerNats is the biggest modified car festival, probably in the world, but certainly in Australia. Every summer in Canberra, people get together and celebrate all that is modified machinery. But it is can be quite a rowdy place. Nice. So we'll see how. Uh, if you want to see how Noel fared in this, not going to say hostile environment, but unusual environment, tune in this weekend on Sunday at 3:30 p.m. and you'll also be able to see a warm hatch comparo done by Tony O'Kane and Noel featuring the Ford Focus ST line, i30, Hyundai i30 N-line, Toyota Corolla and Kia Cerato GT. Some cool cars in there.
2: Yeah, it's for those that can't quite shell out for the the proper hot hatches. There's some some good choices. Yeah,
0: but these cars like they're actually quite they're quite quick, they're quite enjoyable to Capable. drive these days. So they're not perhaps, you know. 20 years ago, these cars would be like pretty dead slow. But yeah. So if you want to see what the winner is, tune in this Sunday to Which Car TV on Channel 10 or catch up on 10 Play. Now, I want to move on to supercar performance testing. Not a particularly consumer topic, but here at the magazines, mainly wheels and motor, we like to independently independently verify the performance claims, the acceleration claims of every car we test. Uh, whether that be a Ford Ranger or a Ford Focus or a McLaren P1 or something. So the trouble is recently, basically all the high-end supercar manufacturers are saying, no, we won't allow you to do this. This has come to light recently because uh, earlier this week, I think I've lost track of time. Earlier this week, I drove the Lamborghini Urus, Lamborghini's new SUV, which has pretty sensational acceleration claims. So he said, We'd like to please verify these. We've got a you know private test track, so it's all very safe. And you know the Lamborghini is a turbocharged, all-wheel drive, automatic gearbox. Probably only needs a couple of runs of launch control. Can we just run it up the strip and uh, verify this? And they said, well, possibly, but only if we can supply a second vehicle and an R and D team from Italy. <laughs> seemed a bit excessive to me. Seems, for an SUV.
1: Yeah, that all seems a little bit Ferrari. It does it? seem
0: a bit... Well, as you mentioned, Andy, can you elaborate on that, uh, why it seems a bit Ferrari? Because Marinello is perhaps known as being the most precious about performance testing its cars.
1: Yes, Marinello have been uh, known to provide a couple of cars, one for straight-line performance testing and one for going around corners with, and a team of technicians... Why on and earth would they need to do that? Um, Surely they'll handle don't, exactly
0: the same. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that would be open to conjecture. Um, Porsche certainly don't do it. No. And, you know, Ferrari don't need to do it because they make such no. fantastic cars. Just be confident about your product. Um, but that whole uh, neuroticism almost and, and control, Paranoia almost. Yeah, control mm. freakery around performance testing, has, has bled across that whole
0: sector, it? It certainly has, yes, it has. You were mentioning uh, McLaren don't have an outright ban, but they do have
1: certain stipulations on the cars that they will be allowed to be tested. Yes, we had um, a 720S in last year, and that was the most phenomenally quick thing. It was just a monster, and we wanted to take it to Heathcote to, one, verify its performance claims, and two, to see if it was so quick that it actually required by... Bio- the Australian Drag Racing Association rules, a parachute (laughs) to drive it on a drag strip. So we tried to get that car there, and there was a lot of humming and hiring and McLaren's PR agency saying, basically, you're not covered under our insurance to drive there. And we wondered what all that was about. And so I approached the head of global PR, a very nice chap called Wayne Bruce. Um, Nickname is Man Bat, (laughs) I'm surprised. And... uh, Great guy, but what he basically told me is that whenever McLaren performance tests a car, it has to be in its skinniest spec. So that means no aircon, the lightweight seats, all of that nonsense. So it's in its absolute optimum, fastest spec, and no such car exists in Australia. Mm-hmm. So basically, it is a de facto ban on performance testing. Yeah, absolutely. And um,
0: Ferrari did this a similar thing. Uh, it's we actually managed to convince them uh, and put a 488 in performance car of the year a few years ago, which meant we did get to independently verify its performance claims, and essentially it missed the mark. It was about a second slower to 200 than its claim, Uh, and obviously to 100, you can kind of understand, you know, traction difficulties. It missed its claim by a couple of tenths, but beyond that, it was just nowhere near as fast as Ferrari said it was, and that It's interesting because their press cars don't come with the nose lift kit for that very reason. Because the press cars have to be in the lighter spec.
1: Uh
0: uh, Which is interesting. But yeah, despite that, it still was nowhere near as fast as they said it was. But this is my big point about this paranoia. It's stupid because it doesn't matter. Your cars are all so, so, so fast that A, no one's going to not buy one because you know it's a it's a fraction slower than you claim it is because you know their their numbers are done on perfect surfaces perfect conditions lightest possible spec but it's really interesting for our readers or the people who enjoy your cars and want to read about your cars to find out how fast these cars are and have these numbers independently verified and yeah. who knows maybe They'll go faster. Yeah, I mean, Audi yeah, have been yeah. good at this recently. They, their cars keep smashing their performance claims. Yeah. You're
2: exactly right. I mean, Porsche, I remember uh, Alex tested a 911 GTS uh, Cabriolet mm-hmm. in the sopping wet at Heathkit apparently, and it smashed its performance figures by over two, two-tenths of a second to mm-hmm. 100, which is incredible, you know, well, in the
1: wet, beating course, performance figures. Yeah, well, Porsche leave uh, an element of margin into their quoted performance figures so you can effectively if you if you got the right conditions beat porsche's performance figures
0: yeah absolutely and, and that's the thing i mean use the example of mclaren but i know that okay I made, I made the mention of ferrari but um autocar has independently tested them at 720s and it absolutely nailed its performance figures so i don't really see obviously that car would have been in the lightest possible spec but even so like at that other picotti we had a Huracan two-wheel drive uh, again it was a rocket ship. These cars are doing like high 10 second quarters. So a few tenths here or there just You're make not... no sense to get so head up about.
2: No owner is going to know the difference from the driver's seat between a 3.1 and a 3 flat to 100. Yeah, exactly. It's going to feel bloody quick either yeah. the way.
0: Absolutely. And the other thing, it just, it opens up the candle worm because them needing to provide special cars. Well, why? Why do you need to provide a special car? Don't, don't, they, don't they all do that? Don't every doesn't every yeah. car go as fast? So it's a bit of a grumpy bum moment because not sort of. I understand that they want to be seen in the best possible light, especially when these cars are costing so much money. But I think the creeping paranoia and the creeping worry is actually harming them more than helping them now.
2: Yes. And if and if they're so worried about their quoted performance figures, quote a number which is realistic.
0: Yep, that's a very good. That's a very good point. Absolutely. That's enough grumpy bumness. Uh, but let's continue on the supercar theme, because Andy, you this week I think or last week had to give back your McLaren 570
2: GT long termer. Woe is Andy?
1: Yes, I might become marginally more popular in the office as a result of that. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no, it was it was um, it was weird. It was it was a moment of sadness because you you think I might never experience a, a car like this day and day out again. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, relief because handing over a car that costs five hundred and thirty-eight grand back to McLaren in one piece, unscratched, you know, no curved alloys, anything like that. It's it's a huge relief because it's it's a weight of responsibility on your mind. But what a car! What a car! You know, four hundred and nineteen kilowatts, carbon tub doors that go up. It's an event every time you get into that car, and. It was an event for people around you as well. The reaction to the car oh, was so really benevolent. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> you know, I certainly
0: felt better every time I saw you drive it in. I'm a
1: giving kind of guy. <laughs> <than just>. Generosity
2: <laughs> but, knows no bounds.
1: But yeah, I think you know people let you out into traffic in that car because. But they, they do that in the Lamborghini, Jerry? Maybe not. Maybe they think you were a giant dick. Um <laughs> yeah. But the but the the McLaren they kind of they kind of liked. Yeah. Okay. Um, but. It's weird. You drive it along a highway and, and cars come to overtake you and then just stop and sit on your three-quarter and you look around and people are videoing you. So, you, you know, you ca- you've you got to be on your best behaviour in the car all the time. You, ca- you, you can't be, like, shoving a pie in your mouth. or the, You, you know, don't want to end up on a current you know, affair that. or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you could easily do that. But uh, it was such a cool
0: thing. Um, so what are your main takeaways from spending, I think, five, six weeks in a McLaren? What sort of, I guess, maybe three good and three sort of... But three bad, I guess, or three issues
1: you had over this time. Three good. Um, I love the engine. It had the optional exhaust on it, so it sounded a bit better at the top end. And it was so quick. There's a road up behind my house that just runs through forest and has switchbacks going up it. And uh, a few times I, I drove up that and it, I came to the end of that and you just completely juiced. It's such a, such a fun thing to drive. Uh, and it just feels small around you. Small and it's got hydraulic steering, so the steering is beautiful. Um, the dynamic elements of that car are really, really good. And this is the soft one, remember. This is the 570 GT, supposed to be the touring kind mm-hmm. of sports series McLaren. But uh, if I was to say things I didn't like, the front lifter kit was a real faff to operate. It is a faff, yeah. Um, it's better,
0: mm. on the, better on the 720, I think. Yes, yeah. It's yeah. a easy to use.
1: Um, and you've got to be really quick with it, because you can be pulling into a kerb, that you have to go up and you start going through all these menu options to. Try yeah, so it's like hidden in.
0: Uh, I think it's hidden in two sub menus or something. You yeah. say we Operated by a little stalk that looks like a cruise control stalk. So yeah, you're coming up and you've got to push it and then nudge it up and all sorts of things. So. Yeah,
1: and it won't it won't operate if you've got any steering and. Oh, really? and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So right. so that that could be better. Um and on the last in the last couple of days that we had it it um. It's got this really sexy electrochromatic glass roof. So you can switch it from dark to completely transparent at the touch of a button and that set itself on full dark, unfortunately. I'm sure that is just a, a fuse or something they can fix mm-hmm. very, very easily. But uh when that's functioning, that is a super slippery. So case. is the five seventy
0: G T the pick of the, let's not say McLaren range, but sports
1: series range, do you think, as a sort of everyday McLaren? Oh, definitely. It is? Definitely. If you were going to run that car every day, the 570 GT is definitely the one to have. Uh, 600 LT, of course, is the sexy, like, GT3 style, mm-hmm. sporty one. But I'm wondering if that would be just a little bit too much to, to use. But, but the 570 GT, it's a real sweet spot.
2: But Andy, the 600 LT has top exit exhausts. It's true, it does. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all the justification we need. But like, I get what you mean about the, the thankful to hand it back. You were very kind enough to let me have a very brief drive of it, which is my first supercar on the road experience. And I spent the whole time obviously loving it, but also terrified of everything around me. It just was just like a, stay away. Stay away and please don't come near me because I don't want this car to be scratched and Andy did rip my head off. <laughs> Do you know the really
1: good thing? They've offered us another one. <laughs> oh my God! What? <laughs> there's, um, the, it's one of those things that there's no way that I can say yes to, though, because we've run a carbon tub supercar in wheels now, and it's yeah, it is kind of a, an extreme and one-off thing to do. So, Scotty, uh, well, I know, Megan, I know, about yeah, it, and you might, yeah. they might be happy to <laughs> you be share your own this. thoughts
0: uh, before we wrap up. We have got a couple more minutes, but uh, while we're on the long-term, uh, long-term uh, topic you might have just had yours, Andy, but what would be your ideal long-term? If you could, I didn't, I was bringing this question on you, so it might be a bit difficult, but if you could pick from anything in showroom or,
1: you know, hot sauce, what would be the car you would want to drive for, say, a six-month period? Um, I don't think I could look much further than what Alex Inwood is getting for his next long-termer, which oh, yes. is an Audi RS4 wagon. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think, that, I, yeah, yep. I think yep. that would be a really great practice. I thought he was getting a Ford Ranger Raptor. I'm like, he's, oh, big he's, big. He's, he's getting one of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> what does he need two long-termers for? Right. Because <laughs> he's Alex in wood. Yeah, here's <laughs> the thing. Alex is going to get bored of yes. of the Ford Ranger Raptor. We predict this. The moment he gets mistaken for a tradie, that thing's... Um, <laughs> yep, well, it's I'll gone. It off his hands. I'd love that.
0: If
2: I have
1: to go and <laughs> buy a car, I think it would be a Ford Ranger Raptor. It does everything I need in my
0: life. What it? a brilliant thing. But okay.
2: yeah, An RS4. Okay, and cam? Uh, this is worrying for, for motoring journalists, but I think a C63 Estate, oh. the new updated one. Um, But to not step on your toes, Andy, it is the car that I would actually spend my own money on, which is a Hyundai i30N.
0: Oh yes. That's a good choice. I, having been lucky enough to have an i30N long-termer recently, I've got to say it was a great car. It, like, it didn't... Wow, you necessarily in any sort of one particular way, but it just did everything
2: so so well. I'm so addicted to gear changes in that car. Oh, yeah, I I, I just want to spend the whole time doing second to third, third to second, second to third, third to second.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You could do you know, you could do track days in it, warranty covered track days, you could drive it long distances in comfort. It was a yeah, a fantastic car. Um, come on,
1: then, Scotty, what's yours? (sighs) I'm getting the impression it might be something extreme.
0: I don't know, like one of the actual best long termers. I've ever had was uh, a Skoda RS230, uh, estate, which is surprising me. I, you know, I live for rear wheel drive, but it was a fantastic car. It was so good to drive. It was so
2: practical. Can we just take a moment to appreciate we all actually picked wagons? Oh yeah, we did. (laughs) That's so cliche. (laughs) It is cliche to the extreme, but. If I had to have one every day
0: though. I'd love a wagon. Um. I don't know, the new Ford Fiesta ST, when, if and when it ever finally arrives here, I reckon that might be a cracking car. That would mm. be just small, easy to drive, lots of fun, uh, failing that, currently I have a Subaru BRZ TS, and I've got to say, just the ability to drive it around flat out without really breaking any laws, and double clutching every shift just because, and... It's a lot of fun, that car. It's sort of back-to-basics driving enjoyment. And
1: I'd like to put a a vote in for my actual long-termer, that Volvo XC40 T5. I think that is probably the best long term I've run. I really, really enjoy that car. It's just fuss-free and quick enough.
0: Well, we'll hear about that on a future episode, and Cam can update us on life with a Jimny.
1: It's interesting.
0: It's, I w- It's imagine. worth a
2: whole episode on yeah, its own.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. But that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of Witch Car Weekly. Don't forget you can keep up to date with everything automotive at www.witchcar.com.au and follow us all on various social media channels at Witch Car AU. And don't forget this Sunday, Witch Car TV. Tune in then. We'll see you next week.